Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Relationship Wednesdays. I'm Dr. Nefertiti Noel. And I'm Darren Noel. And just for a reminder for our new listeners, I am a clinical therapist that practices outside of Chicago. I run a thriving and growing um, private practice. We do a range of work from individual therapy to group therapy, family therapy. We work with um, some general issues but also some, some deeper pathological issues if people have those. We work with individuals and couples. Yep, and my name is Darren Noel. My background is in corporate America here at Noel & Associates. I focus on career counseling, mock interviews, resume consults, things of that nature. Been in corporate America for over 15 years. Very good. So just in case you guys don't know, tonight's topic is intentional parenting. And what we're going to talk about tonight, we have a guest. Her name is Jennifer Jones. And she wrote a book called Raising Kids, Parenting is Not Just Black and White. And she goes through some information about um, intentional parenting that I really, really think is going to be good for our, our listeners to hear tonight. You will be surprised at the number of parents that I have that come in that either have out-of-control kids or maybe they didn't have the parenting that they thought they needed so they didn't really know how to handle it. And they say things to me that I never thought I'd hear people say, but they said things like, so stuff our parents said, you know, raising kids did not come with a handbook. I hear so many people saying that. And now it does. Now it comes with a handbook because Jennifer has written that handbook. Absolutely. And Jennifer, she's been married for over 20 years. Uh, she has two extraordinary daughters. They're both in college, one at age of 17 and one at age of 19. And she's done a lot of research through books on parenting, skills like that, as well as doing interviews with parents over these 20 years on developing this concept of intentional parenting. She has a book coming out, like Dr. Will mentioned, called Raising Kids is Not Just Black and White. It's going to be on bookshelves in January 2014. But in the interim, if you want to get some more information about her book, Raising Kids is Not Just Black and White, you can go to Facebook, www.facebook.com, backslash Raising Kids Right, okay, and take a look at her page. Go ahead and like that and get a lot of information on what she's got going on. Absolutely. So, so Jennifer, is there anything you wanted to add to the information we gave out about you? Nope, that's that's the gist of it. <laughs> Good. So, welcome to the show, and I just kind of want to get started. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to write a book about parenting. Well, over the years I had um, situations where my kids stood out, and people would come to me and say, I noticed that your kids are different. Um, they handled this situation well. Um, they went after something that they were, you know, a goal or something that they had in mind, and you just didn't see it very often. And so they'd ask me, what did you do? What's different, you know? And so I just decided, you know, after hearing this so many times and um, people seeing the results of the parenting that we did do, I decided, you know, I, the best way to reach a bunch of people is to write a book once with all the techniques and, and tips that I had learned over the years and um, just give it out to everybody. All right, great idea because there are lots of people, again, that are struggling with kids. As we look in the city and see the violence that's going on or we see things on, like I see kids on YouTube yeah. sometimes and I go, where are their parents? So I feel like this is a very timely yeah. book. So, so Jennifer, did you and your husband, before you decided to, to have children, did you guys plan to be intentional with them? Did you plan out what you wanted them to be like when they grew up? Actually, we did. Um, we weren't exactly happy with where we were in our lives, and so we decided one of the things that we talked about when we first got married is what our expectations were for each other as parents and what kind of kids we wanted to raise. You know, we've been around enough kids, good and bad, that we we just 
we wanted to know early on that we were on, we we're going to do the right things with them. We we're going to raise them the way we want them to raise so that the outcome would be great. And we didn't want to have to theorize or, you know, experiment with them. Like, you know, if you don't know growing up the proper way to parent, you weren't taught that, then sometimes if you just read one book, you just get a theory. You don't want to get practical use. So we decided that we wanted practical use. So we talked to parents that had kids that were exceptional. Um, we did our own research um, in, in libraries and, and uh, bought books, and we just decided, you know, we'll narrow it down to whoever has the results that we wanted. And that's how we decided what we wanted to do. And we knew what traits and characteristics ahead of time that were important to us. So we focused our attention and our parenting on those traits and characteristics that we wanted brought out in our kids. Very good. Over the years, did you notice things about your children, maybe their capabilities, things they were able to do that parents that maybe had non-intentional parenting um, produced? Did you see a difference between your kids and other kids? Oh, absolutely. Um, it was things like, well, their confidence. Um, they were able to stand up to peers that maybe were pressuring them and things like that. They were able to stand up to them without um, being devastated or um, without it being really even an issue with them. It was almost a non-issue because we raised them knowing exactly who they were. They had a deep-rooted idea of who they were. And so when others, you know, rumors went around, gossip went around about them and things like that, they really weren't that affected because they already knew who they were. They weren't looking to their peers for affirmation. You know, they already knew who they were. And so in situations like that and situations where um, they would come in contact with adults and have to interact with an adult, and my kids from a very early age, they were able to handle their own when talking to an adult because they weren't intimidated by them. You know, it wasn't you are above me and I'm below you. It was they looked at them just like another person, you know. So I think that really comes from the understanding of who they were and that they had value, whether they were 5 or they were 15 or 25. Every person has value, and they understood that they had value. Yeah, That's so timely because if you look on the news, obviously, how many kids are having tragedy when they can bully, committing suicide, and it's such a, a major issue in our nation right now with kids being bullied and how to properly handle that. And having kids to be able to handle that without having catastrophes or without really committing suicide or other damaging things is, is definitely a win. Absolutely. So, so going along with the topic of bullying and self-identity, how, how did you and your husband handle negative influences with your girls? Well, um, well, if it was like a negative influence of a friend, um, and first of all, that comes from knowing really your kids. You had you have to know your kids, know their their strengths and weaknesses, you know, know their personality. And so when we they got a friend and say we noticed, you know, like this friend was continuously doing a certain bad behavior, we brought it up to our kids. We're like, notice this, notice this bad behavior that they're demonstrating, and notice the effects of this bad behavior that they're demonstrating, you know. And sometimes that was all the kids needed in order to be like, oh, okay, let me, you know, back away a little bit. And sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes they were like, ah, that doesn't bother me, you know. And so if it got to the point where I saw my kids' attitude or behavior being affected by it, that's when I stepped in and was like, you know, this is unacceptable. And I always, always, always told my kids, remember who you are. So if I saw their attitude changing, their behavior changing, that was time to reinforce. They had forgotten who they were. It was time to reinforce, okay, I understand you're influenced by this situation or this person, but let's not forget, remember who you are, go back to who you are, and let's get back to square one. So a lot of times when we did that, 
the, the problem resolved itself because they saw that this person was affecting um, their behavior in a negative way, and they would just, you know, fade out the friendship or, or just move on from there, find friendship someplace else. Or there's, there's no lack of people in this world, you know. So they could have friends, multitudes of friends. They didn't have to sit there and um, be friends with someone who was going to bring them down. So is that the same as picking your kids' friends, or were you actually guiding them and directing them on how to, to pick appropriate be- people to be friends with? Um, I didn't exactly pick, I guess you could say. They picked their friends, and then I would demonstrate to them if there was one particular uh, friend of theirs that was continuously displaying bad behavior, you know, then, then I would step in and be, did you notice this? I wanted them aware because I never wanted to, I didn't want to dictate their life. I just wanted them to learn to be aware, be aware of how people affect them, how they affect others, you know, what their attitude is and what the attitude of others is, you know, and how it affects the people around them, you know. And so I would, nine times out of ten, I would make them aware, and that was the end of it. They became aware themselves, and they chose to no longer hang out with a friend. But there have been times when um, they chose not to and they still hung around a friend and I had to step in and say, okay, um, this is not going anywhere and it's just going to bring you down. I, you know, I had to advocate and say, no, you, you cannot hang out with this person. But that was very rare. That was very rare. What about the parent? Because, and again, I have so many parents that come in and say, well, my son or my daughter, they won't listen to me. They won't take my direction. They won't take that step in. How do you handle that? Well, I look at it like this. Um, no kid wants to be co- told no. No person wants to be told no. No one likes being told no. So I went in and Tony went in. Whenever we disciplined our children, we knew we weren't going to be their friend. We were their parent. They were not going to like us after what we had to say, you know. Um, so I went in there knowing that. So I wasn't bothered when um, they got mad or anything like that. So that takes away a lot of the personal issues that you might have, like, um, you know, reactive issues that you might have from telling your kid, you know, they have to do this. And secondary, I was consistency. It, you know, you, they, we educated them. We never thought a child should go to bed wondering what the rules were, um, wondering why they were disciplined. We explained everything. And I always, my kids joke about it all the time, I always explained in threes because I had heard and read a book a long time ago that said you, people only listen to one-third of everything you say. So I made sure every time I told them something, I told them three times. So there was no negotiation, you know. And so at that point, they're educated. They know the rules. They know the consequences. So if they chose still to disobey or not listen to me, then it, that's when consistency comes into play. And I was like, okay, well, this is the consequence. You chose this consequence. It is your personal um, choice in this consequence. If you had chosen other, you know, what I'd asked you to do or whatever, you would have had a much better consequence, you know. And so that's why I think that you, kids have to have a personal responsibility and a personal stake in their discipline and in their lives because you can only tell them so much. It's them who has to choose at a certain point to be, okay, I want to please my parents and I want to do what they have you know, do what they ask me to do, you know? You know but I, you know, I also think that comes from starting young. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So we had so many good things in there, Jennifer. It's phenomenal. Just like you talked about, um, talking about the consistency of the parenting. I know a lot of times you'll hear a parent, they'll read a book, and they'll try something one time. This, You know, I'm trying a new technique, 
I try to one time my child, I didn't get the results, and they kind of leave it there. Yeah. We talk about yeah. You know, one thing that I find is interesting, and, and before I had a daughter three years ago, I always knew that I was going to have a strong-willed kid, and I must have predicted it because she came out strong-willed. But what I've noticed <laughs> about <laughs> what I've noticed about parents when you're in a group of parents, they are always surprised when you have your child under control. Did you notice that? Like I noticed that yes. if I say, um, like I control what my daughter puts in her mouth, I won't just let her eat anything. So at um, right. a function we were at, somebody gave her a bag of chips, and before she ate it, she came up to me and she said, hey, Mom, I'm not sure if I can have this. Can I eat this? And exactly. all of stared at me like she was, like, you know, different than the rest of the kids. And I realized that not every parent, because at first she wasn't like that. I mean, you want to offer her something to eat, she could eat it. And I, we've had conversations before she could talk that you do not just put anything in your mouth. It's just one of my core values. Just don't eat everywhere from everybody. And right. whatever you consistently, your kids will pick up. But most parents want to yeah. tell a kid something one time, like, don't do that. And then they get angry when they do it again, and I tell kids, you I tell parents, rather, a kid has to hear it again and again, just like at work when you have to be told how to do a procedure again and again, and so they realize, oh, this is just how we do it. This is the protocol. Exactly. So and, oh, well, go ahead. I was going to say, and right along that same lines, consistency is what you do. Gradual realization is what the kids have. So at two you're still consistently enforcing the same rules that you apply at 16. You know, it's just their realization that comes along the way where they kindly they get an awareness of why it is the way it is. And you'll see as they get older, because the consistency has always been there, they have safety in the consistency, they, they just don't stray from it because they see the benefit of it. Did, did you and your husband always agree on how to discipline the kids? Well, that's a good question. Oh, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> you know, absolutely not. <laughs> but here's the thing. We never disagreed about the disciplining of them in front of them. Never. Um, we would go with whatever, whoever disciplined them that in front of our kids, that was the discipline. And then later on we'd be in our room, door shut, you know, away from the kids so they couldn't hear and then we discussed it, like, you know, I thought that wasn't very fair. You know, you got you didn't take this into consideration. I think you were a little harsh. You know, whatever the case was. And we talked it out then. And sometimes we went back and later told the girls, you know what, we talked about it and we decided maybe that wasn't the fairest punishment, you know, for what you did. And um, so we always were a united front in front of the, our kids because, I mean, you're two different people. You're never going to agree on everything. But your kids yeah. don't need to see that because they'll use that to manipulate and to tear, tear you guys apart in order to get their way. Absolutely. I mean, I think Jennifer Smith dropped a thousand very important points, but one of them was this idea of consistency in front of the kids and even behind closed doors, but in front of the kids, that you do not undermine the authority of the other parents. Yeah. Exactly. That you work really hard to present the United Front. But, Jennifer, does that work when you have divorced parents or parents that were never married but they're co-parenting? Yes, it, it can still work because it, the 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 technique is exactly the same. It's still consistency. You know, um, a child is very intelligent. Like I had a friend whose 
daughter, okay, they're from one country, and their husband was from a different country. And you asked, you asked the girl what her name was in the one language, she'd, she'd uh, answer you in that language. And if you asked her what her name was in a different in using the other language, she'd answer you in that language. And it's the same thing with two parent families, you know. A child knows in this house, this is the rules that must guide, you know, go by. And in this other house, this is the rules. You'd hope that they would uh, communicate and, um, you know, agree on at least the core values that they're going to enforce. But even if it's a situation where the one parent isn't, the other parent still can have it in their house. And as far as they're concerned, respect lies in this house, and you will respect as long as you're my child still. These are the rules in which you're going to have to live by. You know, and really it's about creating more than just discipline. It's about creating an awareness of why you're disciplining them, why this um, is, this is important, this core value is important, and showing them, demonstrating to them, showing them examples of, of people who have this core value and, you know, what a blessing they are to this world, you know, so that it's not just about being scared of being disciplined at this house or being scared about being disciplined here or there. It's about... I want to be that kind of person. I want people to be excited to see me. I want people to, you know, feel good about themselves because I'm around. Mm-hmm. Did you get your Did you get your daughters around people who had um, key, strong characters that you wanted them to develop? Oh, absolutely. Um, if I knew, especially if they had similarities in personality. Um, like if I knew my my oldest daughter is very much a type A go getter. I mean, she she decides she wants something. She's like a dog with a bone. She goes after it. So I got her around people who have that type of personality, but who have learned to um, temper it with a little more patience, a little more people skills. Maybe not um, be in people's faces, you know, but um, learn to you know negotiate the path that they want to go on and to lead by by example, you know, instead of just telling people what to do, you know, so it's they, they would relate to the person because the personalities were similar. But they also would see, okay, I see where I have to even this out, you know, because we are not perfect as parents, you know. We knew we weren't perfect, and we told our kids from early on, we're not raising you to be us, we're raising you to be better than us, you know, and we didn't want our shortcomings to hinder them, you know. And, again, that comes from teaching them to have personal responsibility for their behavior, their attitude, and the effect that they have on others so that if we messed up, that was an excuse. That was not an excuse for them just to, just to fail and continue to live, you know, messed up or anything like that. It, at some point, they had to take responsibility for their own actions and their own um, attitude. Jennifer, were you ever concerned about looking like a hypocrite if you made your kids do things that you weren't doing, like eating well, exercising, working, you know, different things of that nature? You know, <laughs> there's just, I mean, the the reality is we didn't have victory in every area of our lives. And we couldn't wait until we were perfect and all of our ducks were in a row before we taught our kids something that we didn't have victory in. You know, whether it's you know, finances, um, being overweight, whatever the case was. So, yeah, sometimes our kids would like, hey, you're being a hypocrite. You're telling us, you know, to do this, that we have to go exercise, but I can't remember last time i seen you exercise. And that's, again, that's why I used to tell them all the time, you know, I'm not raising you to be me. I'm raising you to be better than me. You cannot use my failings as a, as a catalyst or an excuse for your failings. You can't quit just because I quit. You know, I didn't raise you to be me. I didn't raise you to have the same um, problems that I had. 
I'm raising you so recognizing my own problems, giving you an out and uh, ability to get over those. You know, so a lot of times where I was weak or where my husband was weak, we got them around people who were strong in that area. So that they did have a positive influence, it didn't always have to be us. Very good, very good. And I think it's so important what you said that you're not raising your kids to be you. So there's downfalls that each of us have. We have inverted strengths, things that we need to work on that we may not be doing great at. However, when you look at your kid, in theory, you want them to have the best. So you tell them, listen, start working out now so you don't gain weight. Hey, start eating healthy so you don't have lifelong illnesses. Hey, learn how to save money so you don't have to do a credit count so you actually can amass some wealth. So that's a very good suggestion. Um, Because kids are smart, and a lot of people don't know this until you have kids. They are geniuses. And their brain is waiting to suck up all the information around them. That's right. And so many times people, I've heard people tell kids, well, is your mother doing that? And so that gives the kid the fuel to come and talk to to you and kind of get what my mother would call gaming. My mother would say, I'm not one of your friends on the block. And so you can't roll up on me like you would a playmate because I'm not your playmate. And I think it's just important for kids to know that you will always find a fault in your parents. I mean, mm-hmm. almost 90% of the people that come to me come because they felt like mom and dad did something wrong in raising them. And sometimes I feel like we spend a lot of time on what your parents didn't do right. Can we spend some time on what you could do moving forward? Mm-hmm. You know, so I really exactly. like the idea, and we're not raising you to be us. We're raising you to be better. That's just really a good point. I had an, another question. What did you mean in the book when you talked about being an American Idol parent? <laughs> Well, I call it American Idol Parent because I think honesty with your kids is invaluable, okay? And when I say honesty, it's in the right context. You should you should know your kids well enough to know their strengths and weaknesses. But the problem is, and the problem I've seen so many times, is this American Idol type parent who tells their kid they're great at something or tells their kid they're great at everything, and the kid really isn't. And so you see them, like uh, you see on the beginning, first episode of American Idol, these kids come in, I mean, they they can't sing worth a lick, you know, and the right. judges tell them they can't sing worth a lick, and the kid's devastated and comes out, and the parent's like, no, they're wrong, you can't sing. No, the kid can't sing. So when right. I told my kids, and I looked for their uh, inherent talents that they had, I also was honest with them and told them, hey, you can't sing, one of mine especially. She can't sing. She can't. She got it for me. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> and so it, what it what that did is it taught her that it's not devastating to hear you're not good at something. But I never just left it at that. I always reinforced what they were good at. Like the one who can't sing, my oldest, she's a phenomenal athlete. She is a natural-born athlete. She's got natural strength. She picks up on sports very quickly. Um, she has the determination and the drive and competitiveness to go through a hard workout. And so I didn't direct her towards music, even if she liked music. I directed her towards athletics. And eventually, whether she might have thought one music class was exciting or not, in the long run, her joy has been with athletics. And that's what she's doing with her career as well. She's going into sports psychology and sports science and things like that because it's her natural talent. Because it's her natural talent, there's natural joy in that talent. And so I just I feel like telling your kids that they're only good, they're, kids are smart. They know they're not good at everything. But if you tell them they're only good, they have an unrealistic view of themselves, 
and they have an unrealistic, unrealistic expectation that others will just see all that's happy and dandy about them, and that if they hear something negative, it's devastating. No, it's not devastating that she heard that she can't sing. In fact, she jokes about it all the time, you know, and she has good humor about it because it's not it's not a big deal. She knows, yeah, I'm not I'm not a good singer, but I am so great at these other things. So when you, I guess, when you, really, you're lying to your kid. You're really setting them up for a hard fall. And then they come back when the world tells them, no, you're not that great as your parents told you. Like, well, mom and dad, why did you set me up? You said I was great at this. I put my heart in it, and exactly. I'm, I'm really not. Well, I think, you know, let me exactly. I think a lot of parents do that because I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but when I was a kid, you had a team that won and a team that lost. Right. The team that lost went in the mm-hmm. locker room and cried. The team that won rubbed it in the in the kids' faces that lost. That's just what we did, and we were we were sore right. losers and great winners. But now I hear people yeah. say, "Bobby, don't be a sore loser." But I always say, "Why not?" I mean, like if if, if, if he lost, <laughs> it sucks. Well, then so I think exactly, a lot of and that's. Go ahead. No, I said exactly. Exactly, and and that's what the problem is, is they, they take a, a loss personal, you know, and it can be personal in a way because it teaches them, hey, I don't like this feeling. I'm going to work harder next time, you know. Um, but if they take it, take it too personal, then they, they just got to learn that, hey, you know, this is a loss, but it's not it's not over, you know. You can learn from it. You can grow from it. You know, nothing is nothing is that detrimental, you know. Right. right, and I, I have lost a game, but I'm not a loser. You know, absolutely, like, like I right, you, exactly. Jennifer, you have so many successful tidbits for people to use because I think people that are parents of successful children, it leaves a trace. There's so many similarities in the behavior. So you know, even when your kid gets to college, I can remember I made straight A's all through elementary, all through high school, and I got to college and I ran into some courses that I just wasn't good at. I called my mom. You know, I thought she was going to patch me up and make me feel better. And she said, drop the course. Why are you taking the course that, you know, yeah. you got to struggle to start to get an F in? She said, drop it. It makes no sense. I was like, oh. Right. She said, it's that you couldn't work your guts out and get an A. She said, but you, I'm I'm only going to fund you for four years, so figure out a major that you can do well in, you can enjoy, and you don't have to keep failing at it. Exactly. And I think a lot of parents tell their kids, try everything and we'll throw mud on the wall and we'll see what sticks. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's taking kids five, seven years to get through um, college. Or they have no direction for their high school in order to get them direction to come towards college. I can't tell you how many kids I know um, that have, that I talk to that are going into college have no clue what they like, what they're into, um, what interests them, where they want to do with their life, because they've never been told what they're good at. They've never been told what their strengths are. Um, they've never been told what their weaknesses are. So they just have to, they feel like they have to go and find themselves at college, you know, which is scary because you're putting your kid out in this world. Um, you're putting them in the influences of everything out there, good and bad, but a lot of bad, and you're saying, I don't even know who you are. You don't know who you are. So here, go out here and let these people tell you who you are. Let these people help you figure out what you are. You know, and that's fleeting. And let's, play tw- and let's pay $20,000 a year to do it. Because, I mean, I think yeah. what <laughs> Or more. <laughs> right. I mean, our under- Darren and I was the same undergraduate. Our undergraduate right now is $40,000 wow. a year. Wow. So, so yeah, that's what is- our daughter's is. 
because we, we only have a couple minutes left. How did you handle negativity yeah. from school? So if a school called you and told you, your kid isn't doing well in my classroom, he's acting up or she's acting up and she's not listening or she's not smart enough or not good enough, how did you combat that? How did you deal with it? Well, we had one daughter who had um, who had some learning disabilities, you know, and I always taught my daughter to advocate for herself. So she would verbalize, this is the techniques I need to use in order to be successful in your class. And so we get calls from teachers saying, oh, she's not trying because, you know, it's not showing it up in the grades and all this. And, and I tell them, okay, this is what she needs to succeed. Have you been able to sit with her and tutor her? like she's asked. And nine times out of ten, the teachers didn't listen to, the, to our daughters because they didn't feel like they, they would know. And they just assumed that every, every child who wasn't doing well in a class wasn't trying, you know, and that just was, simply wasn't the case. And so there's situations like that where I've taught my kids to advocate, and then there's been situations where my daughter was being bullied by a girl in um, seventh grade, and she she let it go, she let it go, she really didn't, give it too much weight or anything, until the girl pushed her. And she, when she pushed against the locker, she's like, that's it, I've had enough. She didn't touch her or anything like that. She just told her, that's it, I've had enough. Well, both of them were suspended. And that's when uh, you got to understand, you've got to be an advocate for your child when your child no longer has a voice. And you've got to teach your kids, hey, i got your back. You're not in this alone. We're in this together. And the school is never the final authority, you know. And so we, as parents, both Tony and I walked up to that school and we sat down, we, we knew what the rules were, and we used that to tell them, hey, this is not going to happen, this is unacceptable, um, you have to not suspend my daughter, and we want to strike him from her record that there was ever disciplinary action. And, yeah, we won. Um, but then it got turned into something bigger, so we had to pull him. Let me give you guys, we're wrapping up, Jennifer. As the book is Raising okay. Kids, It's Not Just Black and White by Jennifer Jones. It's coming out January 2014. If you want to get some information now, it's on Facebook.com backslash Raising Kids Right. Thank you so much, Jennifer Jones, for being on the show. Everybody have a fantastic week. See everybody next week. Have a great night. Bye-bye.